This is an ABC podcast. Just a warning before we start. This episode contains some strong language and intense material. This is the phone call that upends Nicola Gobbo's life as she knows it. The phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. It's March 2014, and a newspaper journalist is calling to say he's learned Nicola is a police informer, and he plans to expose her double life to the world. I can't put it into words how frightened I was that this particular journalist not only said, I'm going to put this on the front page of a newspaper tomorrow, but the information I have is accurate because it comes from a Victorian police officer. Victoria Police scrambles and wins a late-night court injunction, protecting her identity. The newspaper runs the story anyway. Instead of naming her, it dubs her Lawyer X and begins a campaign to reveal her real name. It's only a matter of time now before Nicola is unmasked. But this time bomb will tick down slowly. It's a hidden legal saga that drags on for five years. Behind the scenes, Victoria Police fights tooth and nail to keep a lid on its big secret. The problem for the police is every court or watchdog that looks into it sees something rotten. The state's corruption watchdog finds negligence of a high order by Victoria Police and labels its handling of the issue an abject systemic failure. The Supreme Court says seven of Nicola's former clients, currently in jail, should be told about her secret identity in case they want to challenge their convictions. Eventually, Victoria Police appeals to the highest court in the land. The High Court calls Nicola's actions appalling and Victoria Police's conduct reprehensible and says the decision to reveal Nicola's identity should stand. Within a month, the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, calls a royal commission into Lawyer X. How many convictions, the integrity of which can be called into question because of the way this informant was managed? Then in March 2019, the Royal Commission gets properly underway and a suppression order over Nicola's name is lifted. Her mask is finally removed. The world learns that Victoria Police's secret weapon, its star informer, is Nicola Gobbo. She is Nicola Gobbo. High-profile former defence barrister Nicola Gobbo is Lawyer X. Nicola Gobbo is Lawyer X. Nicola Gobbo is Lawyer X. But when the spotlight turns towards Nicola, the woman at the centre of the state's biggest legal scandal, she's nowhere to be found. This is Season 2 of Trace, The Informer. I'm Rachel Brown. With the secrets now out in the open, the recriminations begin. It's supposed to be fair, and they made sure it wasn't. I don't think he should ever have been convicted in the first place. But now her secret's out. Is Nicola's life really in danger? Is she in hiding, or is she trapped? From a police point of view, they have snooked me completely. Snooked me because I'm silenced. This is Episode 7, Reckoning.
When we get that first email back from Nicola Gobbo in early 2019, the one you heard about right at the beginning of this whole story, the woman who's reaching out to us seems broken. She tells us she's in hiding overseas, with the sole care of her two young kids. In the past decade, after cutting ties with Victoria Police and leaving her barrister life behind, she's found a new all-consuming focus, being a mum. I can't tell you much about who the father is to protect his identity, and I can't tell you much about her kids either, but safe to say they're Nicola's world now. So it is the night before Easter Sunday and I need to stay awake to be the Easter Bunny, but there's really nothing that I wouldn't do to try and bring a little bit of happiness to them both tomorrow. Our early contact through encrypted emails and text messages grows into voice diaries like this one, partly as a record in case something happens to her, partly because she feels like no one else is listening. She says she still has acute facial pain every day. She's had it since her stroke in 2004. She needs a cocktail of prescription drugs to treat it. And I should be looking at Royal Commission material or writing letters to the kids in case something happens to me. But each morning I wake up in extreme pain from clenching my jaw during the night. I need morphine by probably 10 o'clock in the morning. In Melbourne, the Royal Commission started. For a long time, we don't even discuss the issues being picked over at the Commission. Initially, all Nicola's fretful updates are about her kids. Like the time her son nearly got stuck in a lift without her in a strange city and he collapsed into hysterical tears, thinking he'd never see her again. And it broke my heart when he said, but what about those baddies? Those baddies might come back and take mummy away. This is a four-year-old, for God's sake, who's having these thoughts going through his little head. He should be dreaming of train stations and building train tracks instead of this stuff. Nicola doesn't know how long they'll be overseas. The kid's father isn't with them. Nicola lost her father early. Now her kids are losing touch with their dad. This is what Nicola feels most guilty about. Not ratting on her clients, not about the controversy engulfing Victoria's legal system, but that her kids are paying for decisions that she made a decade and a half ago. Even if you take the view that what I did was wrong, then look at it from the point of view of two innocent children. They don't deserve this. Whatever she might have done wrong, she says her kids shouldn't be made to pay for it. And she's angry at those within Victoria Police who've contributed to the situation her family's now in. I will make a point of holding those who did this to account. The best way to do that would be to testify at the Royal Commission. But at the moment, it's largely playing out back in Melbourne without her. Here's the thing. Nicola tells me she wants to give evidence. She wants people to hear her side. But she says she can't testify for days or months on end from where she is, in hiding, sick, with two children depending on her. She says she needs to be home in Australia to testify, where things are more manageable and she can get help to care for the kids. Instead, she says Victoria Police has left her effectively stateless, isolated, silent and stuck. From a 
police point of view, they have snookered me completely. She thinks that Victoria Police doesn't want her back, speaking out publicly or having substantial input into the Royal Commission that's about her. Melbourne crime reporter John Sylvester once wrote of Nicola, Many lawyers, crooks and cops will be worried when the woman repeatedly described as a loose cannon finally takes aim. For a long time, I assume the reason she's not making moves to return to Australia is that she's scared of all those underworld clients she betrayed. But I should know better by now. Never assume anything. She's afraid of something else entirely. She's so afraid that she hasn't even told us about it. As weeks become months and Nicola is still holed up overseas, we put an idea to her. We say, tell your story to us. We'll come to you. Initially, she seems keen. She tells my reporting partner, Josie Taylor, it's a good time. This morning, Nick's been in contact saying that she wants to, um, you know, push ahead and that she's got some good psychiatric help. Then there'll be some drama, delaying things. Just don't even know what the hell is going on. Basically, it feels like a cat and mouse game. But then what is the benefit of her playing this game? I don't really understand. I don't understand what she gains if she doesn't intend to follow through. She yo-yos for months. We don't want to push her to talk when she mightn't be up to it. So we wait and wait. Then finally, she tells us why she's paralysed with indecision. She is scared, but not of her former clients. She's scared of police. She says Victoria Police has warned her, if you come home, you risk losing your kids. They have said to me that if I step foot into Melbourne, and then they went so far as to say any airport in Australia, they will take steps to immediately remove the children from me because they say that there is the potential risk of harm to me and that therefore the kids being proximate to me enlivens that risk. And she's worried any media attention, like our interview, will prod the bear, that it might increase the risk of police trying to take her children away. I've seen an email backing up Nicola's story. Come home, it says, and we'll notify authorities. Victoria Police might be genuinely worried about the children, but Nicola suspects police are using her kids as psychological blackmail. I think it's more convenient for the police if I'm not around for me to be silenced and out of the way and unable to challenge what is being said in an effective manner. And she says it's not the first time the police have brought up the possibility that her kids could be removed from her. This is the second time this has happened to me. I mean, an assistant commissioner threatened to take my daughter from me in May 2014, once again, because I would not toe the line and I would not join their program. This was when Victoria Police was trying to convince her to join the Witness Protection Program when the newspaper first threatened to name her. In documents before the Royal Commission, officers say because Nicola Gobbo refused to join the program, Victoria Police, under mandatory reporting obligations, had to report her to authorities so they could assess whether her child was in danger. Nicola said she feared entering the Witness Protection Program because it's run by the police. And given she suspects it was someone in Victoria Police who leaked her identity, 
She says she can't trust a protection program that it runs. Now that the threat of having her kids removed has come up again, she's skittish about meeting us for an interview. So, for the moment, any prospect of an interview is on ice. Nicola stays put, and for now there's just more waiting and more revelations at the Royal Commission. I've seen Victoria Police affidavits from a few years ago. The force argued if Nicola's former clients were told she was a police informer, the chance of her being harmed would increase from likely to almost certain. One read the potential threats were on a scale larger than any other witness protection case that Victoria Police had ever assessed or managed. But Nicola Gobbo claims it just suits Victoria Police to make it seem like she's in more danger than she really is, because that way she can be kept hidden away, quiet, under control. She suggests that we ask her former clients whether they think she's in danger, so we do. Oliver, from episode two, wishes her no harm. He'd have good reason to be angry at Nicola. She represented him while sleeping with one of his co-accused, a cop no less. Sure, he feels betrayed, but he told my co-reporter Josie Taylor that he's not that mad. If she needed somewhere to live or something like that, or, or she couldn't go back home because she thought someone was watching her or she wanted uh, to, she felt safer here with her children, you know, I would give her my house, you know what I mean, to live in. You know, and, and, and that's what screws with me as much as it does because, you know, I know what I would do for that lady, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Even still now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I don't hate her. I'm disappointed in her, mm. you know. But then again, she was pushed into a corner too. And as for those still in jail, apparently some see Nicola as their get-out-of-jail-free card. Remember, eight men are now appealing their convictions on the grounds that what Nicola did denied them a fair trial. So she's sort of useful to them now. One person tells me she's like a koala, a species that needs protection. Former police corruption whistleblower Simon Illingworth goes with a different animal simile. She's the golden goose. She's laying the golden eggs. Like, they want her alive. Why? Just, I mean, because, well, it's without a doubt a lot of these criminals will get out. The police force will then have to decide whether or not they actually uh, run the court cases again. And guess what? The first witness they'll call is Nicola Gobbo. Um, No good if she's dead. July 2019, five months into the Royal Commission, and there's still no sign of Nicola in the witness box. But a man who served 12 years in jail has just walked free because of the revelations about what Nicola and Victoria Police did. Free at last. Baruch Orman and his legal team have worked for more than a decade to quash the 37-year-old's murder conviction. Farouk Orman was accused by police of being the getaway driver in the 2002 hit on underworld figure Victor Pearce. Farouk Orman's lawyer, Ruth Parker, says the case against him was always shaky. She says the prosecution's key witness, Witness Q, was unreliable. His statement changed. At first, this witness claimed Orman confessed at his Docklands apartment. The only problem with that is that building hadn't finished construction on the 2nd of May 2002. By the time he got to trial, he miraculously remembered 
that, oh no, I was mistaken, I moved in later, I was living in Elwood. But that shows, I mean, if somebody comes and confesses a murder to you, you'd think you'd remember where you were when it occurred. Besides the problem with the prosecution case, Ruth Parker says Orman's defence lawyer back then, Nicola Gobbo, was sometimes working against Orman. She says Nicola took on Orman's case, despite the fact she'd earlier represented his accuser, Witness Q. And she commenced acting as his legal representative in circumstances where she was still in touch with the main witness against him. Here we go again, says Ruth Parker, another conflict of interest. It was Nicola's job to press for the release of documents showing how Witness Q came to cooperate with police. She appeared in the magistrate's court, ironically, on subpoena arguments to try and obtain materials relating to this witness um, and how he came to make his statements. Ruth Parker claims Nicola knew full well how Witness Q had come to make his statement because, as his lawyer, Nicola had helped facilitate it. Ruth Parker says Nicola was to thank for the statement that helped get Orman arrested, so there was a risk she mightn't have fought so hard for those details to be revealed. At the same time as all this, Ruth Parker says Nicola was feeding police ideas on how best to break Farouk Orman, psychologically, in jail. She described him as a very social person who was obsessive-compulsive in terms of cleanliness and recommended to Piranha that they request from the Department of Corrections a placement in solitary confinement in messy conditions because she thought that this would lead to him to psychologically break. That's not all. When Witness Q was getting cold feet about testifying against Orman, Nicola allegedly advised detectives from Task Force Piranha to, quote, put him straight or the case against Orman would collapse. He's down and contemplating telling Piranha to get fucked. She thinks he needs a Piranha visit to put him straight. Finally, Ruth Parker says when Farouk Orman was committed to stand trial, Nicola was still working on his case. She continued to prep his trial. She appeared in the Supreme Court directions hearings. But for years, none of this was disclosed to Ruth Parker, even though she was lodging appeal after appeal for Farouk Orman. All she knew was that the case smelled funny and she believed Victoria Police was holding back documents she needed for his defence. She finally ambushed the Chief Commissioner, Graham Ashton, on ABC Talkback Radio. When are we getting the documents that might actually assist people to undo the damage that the Victoria Police have done? Disclosures have been made by the APP. Not to me, not to my client. Within days of that on-air confrontation... The police divulged a series of documents which Ruth Parker says show the extent of Nicola's involvement in the Orman case. Within months, Orman's conviction was quashed. He was acquitted and he walked from the Supreme Court a free man. As the judges said, his conviction was so wrong and so unsafe he should not serve another minute in custody. The ABC's John Fain spoke to him after his first weekend of freedom. Well, love and life, that's for sure. (laughs) Enjoy life, very happy, static. Is it true that your first meal outside of prison was KFC? Uh, Absolutely, had two servings of it, actually. (laughs) The conflict of interest issues here are pretty clear. Nicola worked on Orman's case, but the Royal Commission's heard Nicola Gobbo took credit for Orman's conviction... And in a 2015 letter to Victoria Police, Nicola cites Orman as one of the top 10 cases she helped police with. 
But when I put all this to Nicola, she plays down her involvement in acting on the Orman case. Farouk Orman, he was your client and you're also representing a, a Crown witness who testified against him. Hang on, him. hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Where was he, my client? As far as she's concerned, she just did some background work on the Orman case. Another lawyer, a QC, took charge of Orman's defence once the case went to trial. But I did not act for him in relation to a murder charge. I mean, you know, the narrative that's been, um, that's been portrayed, as I understand it, is in simple terms... I, I was standing up in the Supreme Court defending Orman on a murder charge that I somehow arranged for him to be charged with because I got a one or more witnesses to give statements saying that he was involved in a murder that he wasn't involved in. That's basically the narrative. Fact one, I wasn't appearing for him, didn't act for him. Fact two, I don't know what those witnesses did or didn't say, but I didn't make them roll. I didn't tell them what to say or not say. I can't, obviously, it would be a breach of privilege for me to tell you or anyone else precisely what I did or didn't say to them. Court of Appeal documents show Nicola acknowledged she was conflicted back at the time because of her earlier work with Witness Q. So she couldn't appear for Farouk Orman at his committal or trial. She said she'd do preparation work in the background, but, quote, that's it. And as for Witness Q's statement, Nicola says the only input she had was telling him to be full and frank, that you can't be half pregnant, it's all or nothing. So what about the kind of almost psychological manipulation of Orman that's been alleged by his team, that you told police that he is scared of being alone so you should keep him him in isolation? I don't don't know. I I have not read um, because my psychologist's view is that it's better if I'm not um, reading this stuff or, uh, and the sensationalised reporting. Uh, you know, yeah, my fair enough, I understand that. Do you, re- do you but, remember saying but, that? But No, but I, what I did want to say in answer to that question is one of the things I would say about, or I would have said about Orman and I would still say about him is he will never, ever roll on anyone to use the criminal parlance. He's just not that sort of person. That's not what I'd asked her. I never really got a straight answer on this. Interestingly, even she thinks Orman shouldn't have been convicted. I don't think that um, he, as an accused, was um, was provided with all of the exculpatory material that he should have had. She says the case wasn't strong and it wasn't transparent that certain materials might have been kept from Farouk Orman. So we find ourselves in a strange world in which Nicola Gobbo and Ruth Parker agree. Ruth can't stand Nicola, a disaster of a human being, she says. The biggest threat our criminal justice system has ever seen. But just like Nicola, Ruth claims that Victoria Police's behaviour is frightening because of how it gets its information and the secrecy around what information it chooses to withhold. So basically shirking any responsibility for the catastrophic effects that this has had on people's lives, Mm. um, it's infuriating and they are part of the justice system too. It's supposed to be fair and they made sure it wasn't. (laughs) 
Yes, Mr. Winnicky. Thanks, Commissioner. Information is power, and whoever controls the information controls the narrative. Never has this been clearer to me than in the Royal Commission. Each weekday for eight months, I've been sitting in this hearing room the Commission has rented out in Melbourne CBD, with the most uncomfortable chairs on earth. And the Commission still hasn't heard from Nicola. By day, 17 lawyers jostle for space around the front bar table, their armrests clanking together. A lot of these guys earn five grand a day, and then some. They'll come out of this saga with a holiday house deposit. From them, we hear all the accusations. Nicola Gobbo performed ethical gymnastics. She betrayed her clients willingly and enthusiastically. Her behaviour and that of Victoria Police was disgraceful. By night, Nicola rails against a lot of this. She'll send us a flurry of texts saying that what we've heard that day is bullshit. So each night I'm hearing a completely different story. But to report it, I need to interview her. And the delays there continue. So her secrets, for now, remain just that. And in the Commission, Victoria Police fiercely guards its secrets too. One of its lawyers is Saul Holt QC. He's always perched on the edge of his seat, ready to spring up and yell PII. That's public interest immunity. This is about the protection of something which is core protected by public interest immunity, that is the name of a human source with respect. PII is basically court speak for off-limits. Sensitive information police want under wraps because it might expose someone to danger or it might expose covert police methods. The resources which will need to be deployed to deal with those risks are profound because the risks are serious. He is guarding volatile secrets. If sensitive information leaks out, lives might be at risk. He tells me one session he felt a burning in his chest and thought to himself he'd have to wait till the lunch break to have a heart attack. Turns out the torch on his mobile phone had turned itself on and was burning through his shirt pocket. Funny now, but the fact remains, this game, it's high stakes. But counsel assisting the commission gets annoyed when PIIs claimed over things the public already knows about, like the fact that cops sometimes plant listening devices in cars. With the greatest of respect, Commissioner, my five-year-old knows that police put listening devices into cars. It can't possibly be a PII, um, an appropriate PII claim. Sometimes documents are delivered to the Royal Commission late, and sometimes documents just seem to go missing. One statement by a police officer that accuses the force of protecting Nicola's informer status over solving the Hodson murders... Well, that statement goes missing for seven months. One officer apparently forgot to submit it. The Commissioner Margaret McMurdo notes that it's interesting such a document would be forgotten. It's one that some people might think that Victoria Police didn't want provided to the Commission or found it uh, at least uncomfortable for it to be provided to the Commission. Particularly when it comes to gangland cases... Victoria Police has been accused of being overzealous in guarding its secrets, like just how it gets its information and notches up convictions. A good story to illustrate this starts with a police raid. A police raid on Nicola's legal chambers in December 2006. She was a police informer by this point, so this so-called raid was actually just a bit of theatre. She was in on it. 
Cops asked her what time suited her best to carry out the raid. It was a clever cover, a way for police to get their hands on information about Nicola's clients without it looking like she'd handed it over freely. One of the items that fell within the terms of the search warrant were notes that I made when I saw a particular witness not long after his arrest in the cells in the Melbourne Custody Centre. Let's call this guy Rick. Nicola didn't represent Rick, but he's a convicted killer who went on to be a star police witness. And Nicola says her notes show that Rick is a liar. Those notes totally contradict what that witness said in a sworn statement and what um, what has been relied upon as the truth by investigators, probably by juries and by judges in convictions that have been obtained ever since. Police are supposed to provide to courts evidence that implicates the accused, naturally, but they're also obliged to disclose evidence that might help the accused prove their innocence. It's called exculpatory evidence. So say there's a fingerprint on the killer's gun that doesn't match the accused's fingerprint. That would be exculpatory evidence. It weakens the prosecution case, sure, but that's our law. Police are supposed to hand it over. But in the Royal Commission, some officers have been very sketchy on this, including one of Nicola's police handlers. Even if you had um, information... Uh, which you knew would be uh, very relevant to a defence lawyer to know about, uh, you wouldn't be obliged uh, to hand it over? No, we're not obliged. This officer understands the exact opposite to what's taught at detective training school. Even though that information may have um, shot a great big hole through your case, you would not be obliged to hand it over unless you were specifically asked for it? Yes. But if the defence doesn't know this material exists, how can it specifically ask for it? See the problem? Nicola told the Royal Commission that her notes, which she says show Rick lied, were so damning that after prosecutors saw them, they dropped a murder charge against Tony Mockbell. But she says as for others Rick testified against, well, they didn't get to see these notes, which Nicola says could have helped their defence. It's all all of its lies. Yes, it would have made a difference to his cross-examination. Now, Victoria Police might have feared these notes were covered by legal professional privilege, LPP, so it couldn't disclose them. But it's not up to police to decide this. That power rests with the trial judge. Nicola says the notes would have hurt the police case, and she believes that's why they never saw the light of day. Has Victoria Police relied on Crown Witnesses who might have been unreliable, lying con men. Yes. Do they, and and ask yourself this question, do they still do so? Yes. And Nicola says usually the public never finds out about it. Where does this begin and where does it end in terms of the police misusing information that they receive and or holding back material that doesn't help them? One man who Rick's testimony helped convict is a guy called Steve Asling. He'll be in Barwon Prison till he's well into his 80s for the 2003 murder of Graham Kinnenborough, then one of Melbourne's most influential gangsters. 62-year-old Graham Kinnenborough was shot dead outside his home at Kew early this morning. 
Nicola says Asling's fortunes might have been different if his defence had been given her notes. The notes, she says, show Rick to be a liar. Had through his um, barristers and solicitors gone through the whole process of um, summonses in the magistrate's court and subpoenas in the Supreme Court and was told that these notes do not exist. Asling has run out of appeal options, but he's waiting to see how the Royal Commission washes up. And if Nicola's notes, which the Commission now has, might open new appeal doors. We've tried to get on Asling's call list in prison, but failed. So instead, his mum, who we're calling Trisha, braves a shocker Melbourne hailstorm and a long train ride to chat to Josie and I. He didn't even know the fellow that he was supposed to have murdered. And he told me and his father that, no, he, um, he didn't do it, and I believed him. Do you still believe him? Absolutely. We tell her every prisoner claims they're innocent. She tells us she's the first to say he's no angel. And I say that to him, that you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. You put yourself in this situation, Stephen. What do you expect? And he says, well, I don't expect to be charged with murder, Mum. She says he's owned up to other things, but he's not a murderer. He did these other crimes and he said, I wasn't there making, selling pizzas, Mum. I did it, so I've got to pay the penalty. And if he had done this, I'd have said, well, good enough for you. Tell me about the trial. Oh, that was the greatest sham of all time. The main witness against your son was a convicted murderer. Many a, serial, a serial killer. What did you think of him? And it was just ridiculous statements. Just lies. You could tell they were just lies. Um, so in our investigation, Nicola Gobbo has said that she is aware that police took evidence relating to that main witness and withheld it. Key evidence that showed that the witness against him was a liar and no one got to see that evidence. Where is it now? That's a very good question. Always thought they were there to protect and was always proud of Victoria, Victoria Police. I'm sorry, I can't. I don't trust them. They're looking after themselves, they're clearing their books. All our systems have fallen over. Our churches, our police, our banks. Do you think there's hope to see your son walk free? I, might see I pray every night. I pray every night. Eight months into the Royal Commission, and still the woman at the centre of this entire drama hasn't appeared in the witness box. The Royal Commission is told, unless her situation changes, she's too sick to give evidence. Nicola is still telling me she wants to come home to testify. I hear worrying whispers that some in the Royal Commission would prefer she didn't testify, because it'd mean millions more dollars and months more time And there's a feeling in this hearing room of, well, we've already heard from her police handlers. We know what she's going to say. But that means a $40 million Royal Commission would be relying on what police say she said. And police have been part of the problem. 
So Josie and I reach out to Nicola again. We think it's time for an interview, we say. And she's finally ready. So I board that nauseating flight to meet her at a secret overseas location. Hello and welcome. Tonight, Lawyer X, the gangland barrister and police informant, speaks publicly for the first time. The morning after this TV interview airs, the Commissioner Margaret McMurdo, quite rightly, demands answers from Nicola's lawyer. Now, you made submissions uh, last week about her providing reasonable excuse to the Commission for her non-attendance. Instead, the Commission was being told that she was too unwell to give evidence. He says he didn't know anything about the interview. It was not within my knowledge at all. So you tell me that you weren't aware of that? Uh, Unequivocally. He's right. He wasn't aware. But the Commissioner is out of patience. She compels Nicola to testify via video link in short spurts to accommodate her health issues. A date set for February 2020. Then in February at the Royal Commission, I hear that familiar voice. So we we have Miss Gobbo on the line here. Can you hear me, Miss Gobbo? Yes, I can. During her five days giving evidence, Nicola sounds tired but resolute, matter-of-fact. Some see a liar still lying. See, what I want to put to you, Miss Gobbo, is that you are a spectacularly good liar. Do you accept that? Uh, yes. And do you accept that you've lied so well and so often that you've lost the capacity to know when you're telling a lie? No, I don't. Some notice penitence. A woman admitting she stuffed up. Yes, I accept I was an agent of the police. You were uh, operating as an accumulator of information, uh, um, either for yourself or for other people. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. And you're right, I should have walked away from all of them. Her evidence covers everything you've heard about in this podcast. You've heard that story already. But there's a part of this story you still haven't heard. It's a part of this story that no one has heard. It's the final chapter of the saga. And it's in the next episode, the final episode of Trace, the Informer. It'll be the same old story of you do it our way and you comply with our cone of silence. The fox guarding the hen house. And we all know how that story ends. Two of Trace, The Informer, is hosted by me, Rachel Brown. My reporting partner is Josie Taylor. Supervising producer for post-production is Tim Roxborough. Our producer is Yasmin Parry. Producer for the 7.30 interview was Chris Gillette. Camera, photos and sound on that interview by Greg Nelson. We get production support from Will Ockenden. Fact-checking and research by Alexander Tai. And our sound design and theme composition was done by Martin Peralta. Additional music by Superspy, Seapelt, Jacob Richards, Fear Feel, Land Systems, Delamanta, Lincoln JK Weber, and Martin Peralta. If you like Trace, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. 
and subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they land. Four years ago, Donald Trump promised to make America safe, strong, proud, wealthy and great again. I'm Matt Bevan, and to find out how much of that he's achieved, I'm going right back... Very fine people on both sides. You have to take the children away. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear... ...to the start. Has Trump's first term earned him another four years? The America If You're Listening podcast is out now on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.